up your heart, get ready to receive. Praise the Lord. There we go. Called and the chosen. Do you love the Lord today? Well, I got halfway through with last week's message, so I'm going to finish it this week. So I'm calling it part four of the called and the chosen. It's actually 3B, but that's all right. We'll call it four. Anyway, <laughs> Matthew 20:16, as we read to you last week, it's so the last will be first and the first last, for many are called but few are chosen. And then we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, that's where Paul talked about that he didn't want to know anything except the Jesus Christ crucified and the power of God. He didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. And he also talked about a demonstration of power. We can just move along from there. I read that last week. And then, of course, Acts chapter 3 and verse 6 through 8. Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to give everybody money to help them. You know, I get, if I'm in the office, I'll get at least one, if not two calls on the church phone asking for us to pay their, their rent or their light bill, their electric bill, or something. I just have to tell them, I say, we're not a big church, and uh, we help our members first that have needs, but we can't afford to pay you, I'm talking about 22 to 40 requests a month wanting us to pay their electric bills or do we have money for their deposit or for rent. You know, I think it's because we're called Christian Family Fellowship International, maybe in the phone book, whereas, you know, our local name is Heartland Christian Family Church. So they got a picture in their mind that maybe we are just a religious organization. And I wish I could help more. In fact, I've got an application process that originally people need to fill out if we're going to help them. But if they're in the church, I don't go through all that. You know, if we have it to help, we do. And if we don't, we don't. If we don't, I pray and pray that God will provide for them what they have need of. And uh, we've helped many people over the years that way. But uh, we can't help everybody that we don't know. I mean, it's just, it's like throwing a, a dart at that wall over there. You know, we don't have the capability monetarily of helping them all. But we do have the ability to demonstrate the power of God if they want prayer. I'll say, well, let me pray with you. And a lot of times it's, bah, they, they hang up on me. Well, they didn't want my help altogether, cause, or else they would have let me pray the power of God to help them. You know, but uh, 
A lot of times they say, yes, please pray. And I do pray. I've had them call me back and say, you know, after you prayed, I got a call and I got the money I needed. I've had that happen a few times. So prayer really works. The power of God works. Whether you have enough money in your pocket or not. Plus, you know, you have to vet people, so to speak. I hate to say it that way, but not everybody that says they'd like some money are really interested in paying their electric bill. And you can't trust everybody. There's a lot of people. I mean, some just go right down the list and call every church and Christian organization in town. And uh, they're looking for money. You know, They'll call and say, well, I'm traveling from such and such to such and such. And I'm not an investigator. But when I was in House Springs, Brother Cheryl put me in charge of dealing with the people that would come in and ask for help. So if they come in and say, I, I'm, I need some gas money, I'm going to my mom's or grandmother's funeral up in Indiana, I came from Oklahoma and I'm headed to Indiana, and I, I'd say, well, wait just right here, let me go see if we have any benevolence money. First, I'd go to the parking lot, and I'd look at the license plate on their car. And a lot of times it, it would say Jefferson County, you know, <laughs> right there, High Ridge or something, St. Louis. And so they weren't telling me the truth. And I'd ask them, now, are, are you sure you're not from uh, St. Louis? I saw your license plate. Well, well, I've got to go, you know, and they'd take off. Yeah. But then others, we had a deal with a gas station in town that we'd send them a voucher. And so at the end of the month, we'd pay the money. But we'd give vouchers to lots of people that needed gas to go to work or whatever. People are in need, but we're not... Medicaid, or whatever, however we could say it. We don't have the ability to just pay people's bills. We're here to spiritually help them, first of all. And that's the key. You know, I got off on a tangent. I'm sorry. But Peter, and even Peter came in with John and to the temple area, and he said, hey, silver and gold we don't have. In fact, we're broke this week. But what we do have is the power of God. Rise up. And that man got up, went walking, leaping, and praising God. He was much happier to get healed than to beg for a dime or a quarter, you know, in his pan that he had out there. So uh, anyway, we have to get past the basics is what I told you last week too. To be called and chosen, you... You really have to get past the basics. You have to press in. And in Hebrews 6, it talked about that. Let's look at that for a minute here. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of uh, repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, but let's of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, and I went through that with you, that it was baptism of water, baptism in the Holy Ghost, baptism of suffering. Some people suffered. How many know you suffered through a few things? Yeah. I know your lives. I know what you've been through. And you know what? You're still here. But you had to go through 
some things, and God has you here still, so he's requiring of us to endure. And just like the Word of God said, Paul wrote to Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We have to go through. We can't just give up because something difficult came upon us. And he said of laying on of hands. And you know, we lay hands on people for healings. We lay hands on people to bless them. We lay hands on people to uh, install them into the ministry when they have fulfilled qualifications to be a minister. And, of course, the Word of God says don't lay hands suddenly on any man or any woman. I think it's really talking about don't rush the process. Let them, you know, prove themselves before you make them a minister of the gospel. And, uh, you know, the reality is, are you doing anything with what you got? You know, uh, I mean, I appreciate these ladies that teach our children on Sunday. Some people may think, well, it's just like Sunday school. Well, you better believe it's better than Sunday school. They're helping our children learn. And they will come home and tell you what they've learned. And uh, that's an important ministry. Just like preaching of the word, leading worship, uh, teaching classes. Pastor Ken uh, teaches classes and people take tests in his classes. I don't like to grade papers, so I don't ever give a test. But I make you talk in my class. You have to answer questions and discuss things. So that's almost like an oral exam. You have to verbally talk about it. But anyway, we don't lay hands suddenly on people, but that laying on the hands is a basic principle. Just like and he says, and of the resurrection of the dead, we believe that the dead in Christ are going to rise when the trumpet sounds. And those who are alive and remain are going to meet with the dead in Christ, meet Jesus in the air. And we're going to be with him forevermore after that. <coughs> so, resurrection of the dead. And of eternal judgment. You know, I was listening to Mario Murillo on a YouTube video. And he was exposing some of the heresies of some of the so-called prophets of the day. And, uh, you know, he was talking about how some were saying, well, people get a second chance, you know, and so on. No, the Bible doesn't say that. And he was talking about that, how some people have said, they're going to get another chance, you know, after they're dead and gone. If you didn't accept Jesus here on earth, you're not going. Your relatives are not going to pray you into heaven or pay your way with penance into heaven either. You know, and uh, that came through some other belief systems. You know, and I won't get off on a tangent, but this is part of our study. So, but eternal judgment. You know, you get saved, you die, you go to heaven. If you're not saved, guess what? You're probably a little hot right now. And it's no fun either. People don't want to go to hell. And, uh, you know, I'll just go on. Anyway, uh, I'm not, I'm still on the other verse there. Die, if you can go backwards. And this we will do if God permits. That is a key. Can you go beyond 
the basics. If God permits, you can. In other words, I can't judge if you've gotten to that point or not. But if you enter in to that realm, and then we can go to verse 4, or next verse, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. What is the heavenly gift? It's the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe. It's functioning and flowing in that realm of the Spirit. Uh, I tell you what, I was in services as a young minister. I kid you not, a guy came to the church and he could tell somebody what their address was, where they grew up, and call them out. And they would be astonished, because how would he know? You know, we've had some charlatans that were exposed on television that actually had an earpiece, and the wife would be out in the lobby talking to people and get information, and then she would feed him the information in his earpiece, and he would call out stuff. And I won't say his name because I don't want anybody calling me and saying, you're talking about something. But anyway, uh, that stuff did happen. But I saw people who had the giftedness that, I mean, it just blow your mind how they could know stuff. And yet I looked and I saw the guy's Bible up on the podium and it stayed there the whole week. He never took it with him. I don't know, maybe he had a study Bible back at his hotel room. But that disturbed me as a young minister. He, see, he entered in and was flowing at a level that would blow your mind how he could hear things, but then leave his Bible there. Man, I take my Bible to the hotel with me after I preach somewhere. I'm not looking for a pat on the back on that, but I'm just saying and then this guy, lo and behold, just a few short years later, is in a national scandal on television. And, uh, you know, it's so sad. And I don't know that he ever got back to that place of ministry again because he abused operating in that realm. See, if you have been enlightened, enlightened means your mind has been opened up to understand things that nobody else understands hardly and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. My goodness, you talk about some powerful things the powers of the age to come. When you can move in miracles and healings and prophetic words that are so accurate, it part the hair on somebody's head, you know, so, so accurate, you know, to, to say it. And then you go backwards, what does he say? He says, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify them again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now that's pretty harsh. 
I didn't write that book. The Holy Spirit wrote it through an author who penned the book of Hebrews. But he's saying right there, some people can fall away and there's no room for repentance. So that's one argument for somebody that says once you're saved, it don't matter what you do, you're always saved and then you're going to go to heaven one day. Well, I'd hate to be in a backslidden position when I die and hope that I can go to heaven. Well, nobody's going to pray you into heaven. Nobody's going to give money to get you into heaven. God doesn't need your money. He owns the whole world and the universe. Why would he? He doesn't need money. You give because he, he tests you. Will you obey him, see? And will you help in the house of God, see, when you give? But that's another whole study also. But he's saying if you've gone to that dimension and that realm, and you fall away, there's no room for repentance. And some of these guys that have been in the middle of scandals, I, I'm not their judge. I'm glad I don't have to judge them. If they have repented, you know, and God accepted their repentance, that's between them and God. But he said right there, if you have gotten past the basics and you've gone to that realm of partaking of the Holy Spirit, of the powers of the age to come, you're talking about all kinds of stuff. What are those powers of the age to come? We're talking about what Jesus do when he came back from the dead. What's one thing that he did that blow your mind? He walked through the wall when Thomas was doubting. He walked right through the wall into the room and he said, okay, Thomas, come and see my hands, see my feet, and how about my side? You think that blew the disciples' minds? That'd be a power of the age to come. See, People can do some things. I knew a South African guy, evangelist, not Jan Venter, another guy, not Rodney Howard Brown either, but another guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head now, uh, in Florida is when I came across him. But he talked about a guy he knew that would, would travel in the spiritual realm from Africa to Siberia and would preach on a Sunday to the Siberians. He'd translate back. And then every week he'd go there and preach. And he said, now, that's wonderful if you got faith to translate. But he said, you need to have faith to come back. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> I didn't know how much I could believe, but I'll tell you an experience I had. I told you about the experience I had of the baptism of fire that hit me in the head like a lightning bolt. And I was hot as a firecracker and it's three below zero, 30 below wind chill. And I sweated. What an amazing experience. God showed me my ministry. 1985, this coming January will be 39 years since I had that experience. I've never been the same since. I flow in a way that I'm, I feel I'm just a regular guy. But when... We're ministering, and you start flowing, just like Sunday. I was having so much fun ministering here. 
and different ones came for prayer, and I gave words. And then I'd say, well, I don't know what I just said, but I said it. The Holy Spirit was flowing, had prophetic words. And I think most of the people, as far as I know, that was a word that they needed. Die, you need that word, didn't you? I don't even remember what I told you. But, you know, the Holy Spirit said it. I just was a mouthpiece to say it. And when you're open to let him use you in those powers of the age to come, you know, you don't have, I have control over my mouth and what I say, and when I say it, I gauge myself when I'm ministering. Is it the right time to say something like that? Most of the time, I don't have it all until a certain point, and I walk down the aisle or something, I look at some, boom, there it is. The Holy Spirit says it. It's the time to say it, so we do. But I was driving as a young minister in 19, I'm going to say about 1983 maybe. It was before I knew Lucia, before I was ever married. I was driving from New Orleans in my little Toyota Corolla, and I was coming up straight up the gut of Louisiana, and I think I'd just gone through Shreveport, and I might have just crossed the Arkansas border, and I looked at the time, and I said, oh, no, I was going to Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I said, I'll never make it on time. It was like 5.30, and I was supposed to be there by like 7 to minister in a youth meeting, in a youth rally. And I thought, my, I did not gauge my time right when I decided to travel. Back then, you didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have the, you know, uh, what do you call those things on your GPS. I didn't have a GPS. All I had was one of those atlases. You open it up and try to read the on the map. And maybe if it's a new enough map, you might see it. There I was, and I said, Lord, I, ne I need to hurry up. But I knew I couldn't drive 90, 100 miles an hour. I would get pulled over. And I was going through this wooded area, which southern Arkansas is very wooded. They say there's more deer there than humans in southern Arkansas, down around El Dorado, uh, Hampton area. I've preached in Hampton before. But all of a sudden... I mean, within an hour, I was on the outskirts of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I don't remember how or where it happened. I was just driving, looking at the atlas, trying to gauge, and all of a sudden I was there. Did I translate? Well, I know this. Time changed. Somehow. I was a young minister. I was wanting to believe anything. I might have translated about an hour's worth of driving. And then I was pulling out. I'm just giving you some illustrations how these powers of the age to come happen. When I'd become a pastor there at South Florida, we had a driveway coming out. We had a telephone pole with one of those electrical or one of those cables that stabilized the the pole, and maybe it's got the, the stuff to ground it, I think. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. It had a metal cable going down to the ground. And it was a two-lane highway. And so 
there was a car coming rather quickly. And so I pulled out in my vehicle, and there was all of a sudden this huge, like a Lincoln Continental, pulled around and was coming head on at me. And all I could say was, Jesus. And, and all of a sudden I looked, I blinked my eyes. That car wasn't there. I looked in rearview mirror. The car was already past me. The other car passed me. I don't know how two cars passed me at the same time. Did that car go through me? Did God flick a switch on and off and let that car pass in time, a dimension of time? Or how did it operate? All I know is I did not get hit head on. And I had nowhere to go. I said that cable because I could not pull off the road right there. It was like a power of the age to come. I said, Jesus had that huge demonic figure standing over me in 1991, about March, choking me to death. I couldn't breathe. I opened my eyes, and it was choking me to death. Big, sinewy muscle. Just, it looked like its skin was ripped off. All I saw was the dark muscles, and I saw... The nails, the long nails, and I saw the fiery red eyes. And I was awake, and my eyes were wide open. I could not speak because it had me by the throat completely. I could not talk. I said, Jesus, just like that. And when that verbalization of the name Jesus, that thing jerked its hands off of my neck, walked around the foot of the bed, I saw its shadow on the wall, it walked through the glass doors of our bedroom into the night. I don't understand those things. All I know is the name of Jesus is pretty powerful. I said, what was that? And the Holy Spirit said, well, you said the name Jesus. At his name, his light comes. Do you know the speed of light? How about the speed of sound? Which one's faster? Speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. It was pretty awesome. His light came so quickly. He said, when you said the name, the light came and it produced the shadow on the wall when it walked up. That's logical. It's also supernatural that it happened. It was pitch dark. When it left, there was no light in there anymore. Is wild. That's powers of the age to come. Where you can run a demonic spirit out of your bedroom that was trying to kill you. Because if I had not said Jesus, I would have died supposedly in my sleep at the age of 33. And my wife would have been a widow. And I think I had a $100,000 uh, insurance policy she would have had a hundred thousand dollars that wasn't hardly enough to buy a house down there at that time but you know that's the powers of the age to come you can run a demon out of your room by the name of jesus i could just go on and on there's so many stories that things that just don't make sense but uh it's all possible. See, the impossible is very possible with God.
So when you get past the basics, if God permits you to go beyond that, see, in 1985, when I went to see my uncle in Rumbar, Missouri, on that little road, now you got to go over to, you know, we didn't, I don't think we had, did we have the bypass then or, or, or not, the new highway? I don't think we did. I think I went over on what's called B Highway now, and you would have to turn left to go to Rumbar. And my uncle and aunt lived down there in a like a double-wide trailer. And that's where I went to walk with him a half a mile, quarter mile back to that windbreak where I had the fiery baptism experience with God. See, I didn't have those experiences very much until I went through the fiery baptism. I did have that driving to Pine Bluff. That happened before that. I didn't even understand or know what happened. I just know I got there on time. I don't even know how. I just did. But after that, things began to happen that were pretty awesome. Awesome miracles and demonstrations of the power of God, like Paul said. You don't have to have excellency of speech. You don't have to be the best and most eloquent speaker when you can get past the basics and get into that realm of the Holy Spirit and, and partake of the powers of the age to come. Because when you do, you don't turn back. You don't fall away. And I'll just say it this way. I don't know how anybody can fall away. How can they fall away from their belief system? And when you embrace the powers of the age to come, the Holy Spirit, it's amazing to me. Every time I see blind eyes open, every time I see a miraculous demonstration of God's power happen, every time somebody gets saved, it's a miracle. And it's amazing to me every time. But see, there's a process that happens that you're going through. You go through all that. You go through repentance from dead works. You go through all those baptism experiences. You go through tough times. You'll go through a fiery baptism. And I hope and pray that every one of y'all will have an experience in the Holy Spirit that just amazes you. But let's look at Daniel now. Now that we've got through the basics, let's go on to the book of Daniel. And we got to here last week, but let's look once again, and let's look at Daniel 1, verses 3 through 7. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpahaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish. Isn't that amazing? That king didn't want anybody that was lame or had any kind of a blemish. You know, they had to be good looking even. It says, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom. In other words, their SATs or their ACTs had to be in the top 5% if they took the test. I mean, you're talking about the cream of the crop possessing knowledge and quick to understand who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. 
they had to learn languages. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. They had to do like Zach and go get a master's degree in the king's college. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I, I went one verse past where I was going to go. But this is the first thing. Once you're chosen, identities change. All their names were changed. They went through the training. They got their diplomas. They had a certain look. I bet they, if it was in this day and age, they would have been doing aerobics and lifting weights. and They had to be as perfect as a young person could be. And they had to learn all these things. They had to be like MIT graduates almost. You know, they, they just had to be very wise and smart and knowledgeable. And so verses 8, let's go on. I just read 8. But he said he wasn't going to defile himself of that. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. He's saying, you should be eating all this nutritional stuff and the best food that money can buy and drinking the best wine so that you look rosy-faced, you look healthy, you look like you're, you're living good. And he goes on. We're going to go through verse 13. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. He didn't drink the king's wine. He didn't eat the king's food. Please test your servants. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he said, go ahead, test us. But don't give us all that stuff that the king, off the king's table, just give us some good vegetables. I didn't realize they were vegetarian. But they were acting like a vegetarian. And they were drinking lots of water instead of wine. So the second thing, favor comes through testing. He said, look, let us do it this way and let us be tested. So they were willing to go through the testing. So first of all, when your name changes after you've reached a certain level, your identity's changed in, in an essence, then you have to 
decide you're going to not compromise. And so therefore you have to say, okay, I'm willing to be tested and make sure that, you know, you can see that we're well. And so then we look at verse 13, and it goes on. He says, Then let you, our parents be examined before you and the parents of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit, so deal with your servants. For 14, so he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four men, young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all wisdom In all visions and dreams, now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. They got the highest level. And see, when you're healthy in all ways, you'll be put at the highest level. You'll have the most favor. They were the servants of the king. They didn't eat what everybody else ate. They didn't drink the wine. He interviewed them. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Isn't that amazing? See, when you don't compromise, what God has shown you is the way you're supposed to live. Then great things happen. We have to have, statement number two is this. We have to have a fire of God sanctifying experience to press in, to commit the average to become the supernatural. Average people can do the supernatural when you're committed, when you've pressed in, when you've gone beyond the basics. See, God, you know, He won't let you. This is the beauty of the love of God, Brother Randy. You know what the beauty of it is? He won't let you go past that if you're not ready. Now, somebody, by chance, forsakes the way, lets it go to their head, and they fall away. There's no room for repentance. But basically, you go back to that scripture in Hebrews. He said, if God permits and you do this and fall away, there's no room for repentance. The beauty is, Brother Sherman, he won't let you go past that under normal circumstances. So you know what? Just press in. Commit yourself. How did I have that experience at such an early age? I pressed in. I committed myself. I was a wild child in college. I ran. I ran. I had fun. 
you know. I went to prayer meeting at 6 a.m. in the morning with the football coach of Evangel's football team. I played uh, pickup basketball with all those coaches in the afternoon. Then I would go out at night, and I couldn't believe it. I just up and down, you know, as a Christian. But at some point, see, that point came when I went to New Orleans. I was not a child anymore, Brother Kevin. I was a grown man, and I needed to mature. I started paying my rent. I started paying the electric bill. I started paying for my car and buying my gas and buying my food. And at the end of the month, because I got paid once a month, and I had to learn how to save a little money till the end. By the end of the month, there was for a while, I ran out of money, and I was eating peanut butter sandwiches for about four days. <laughs> you know, that's just, that was a bachelor, you know. If I was lucky, maybe, I remember living in that little shotgun house over off Bienville by the graveyards close to Canal Boulevard in New Orleans. And my roommate Harry and I, he was my assistant basketball coach. He helped coach football, and he was my assistant basketball coach. We shared a house together. And it's pretty wild, too, I'll tell you. I had a water bed, king-size water bed. Well, you know, we only had one bedroom. So you know what Harry did? He built a king-size bunk bed. He built a bunk on top. <laughs> it was so hilarious. You know, if you ever came over to our little shotgun house, we played video games, too, when Nintendo first came out. We were playing that and Atari or whatever. And... Uh, We'd watch a little TV. We coached. We were busy most of the time. But he built that bunk bed so he'd climb up and sleep on top above my king-size water bed. You know, it was a riot. We had a lot of fun in those days. But we decided to go past the basics. And that's when I accepted the call to preach at the end of my first year. So there I was. And I was seeking God. And whatever he wanted me to do, I was willing to do. I, I told you the story. I threw away all my rock and roll records, got rid of them all. I, I just started, I go to prayer meeting. I started a prayer meeting at 6 a.m. in the morning. I go to the church. I go pray back where Brother Gorman preached. I'd lay down behind the podium. I'd say, Lord, I want this anointing on my life. And I would pray there. And I had all kinds of young adults come pray with me. And, you know, it was just, I had this tenacity in me that I didn't want to be mediocre in the spirit. I wanted to press in and have the gifts operate in my life. I wanted the anointing Brother Gorman had. I, I would go and work in the altars just so I could be close to him so that when he was flowing, I could be right there getting the overflow on me. And that's why he loved me as a son, so to speak. And we traveled together to Africa and Costa Rica and Mexico and other places. Same thing with Brother Summerall. I wanted to get close to that anointing so that I could get to a realm that only you could get to in the Holy Spirit. I wanted to be in that powers of the age to come realm. See, so you got to want it. 
you've got to want it bad enough to press into it, to commit to it. And that's what it was for me. It was all or nothing. Hey, if this is real, I want it all, Stephen. I want every bit of it. And if that means going to prayer meeting at 6 a.m. and cry and, and shout and speak in tongues and march around the church, whatever, you know, whatever I had to do to get there, I was going to get there. And you have to have that same tenacity, maybe not the same way I did, but you have to want it bad enough to dig into it and grab a hold of it. See, we didn't have internet back in those days. You had to go to church and get it in a live service. You couldn't get it off of somebody on the internet. You had to get in the realm by yourself. You had to go in there and press in yourself and get a hold of it. What a joy. What an exciting time of life that was. To see you get a new identity. And I pressed in and I ended up getting licensed in the ministry and ordained eventually and all that. But you got to go through stuff, testing. And then we see in verses 46, I'm going to skip a lot here, go to verse 46 through 49 of chapter 2. And it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate, before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. That's like Joseph became the right-hand man of Pharaoh. When you press in, see, number four, Promotion comes when you are around the right company. When you start hanging around the anointing and you dig in. See, Daniel was able, because of his commitment to God, he was able to interpret the dreams so that Nebuchadnezzar trusted him. He put him in charge of the whole province. He made him prime minister, basically. Over Babylon. This dude had authority. He had power. And he asked for his three friends to come in and rule with him. And he permitted it. Don't you know that stirs up your enemies when you get promoted? Oh, yeah. You'll go through some stuff when the enemy gets stirred up because there's a lot of jealousy that will come along with it. In chapter 3, verse 8 through 13, we see there another story. Because see, now they, they wanted to make an image of Nebuchadnezzar, big old statue, make everybody worship. We see there, 8 through 13, he said, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews 
They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. How many of you know the devil wants you to worship some kind of image today? How many times can you turn on YouTube or the TV on M MTV music or something? You see all these young people dancing with, you know, all kinds of, even vulgarity at times, worshiping images of these stars. You know, they worship images. And so they had an image. They had all this, wasn't Christian rock either. It was some uh, evil music going on. And when they heard the music, they had to come and fall down before that image, that golden image. Whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Number five, when promotion comes, testing and trials soon follow after that. And you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a fire, burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? <laughs> and so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It changed. You think he might have been a little demonized? He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Number six, the secular or the king's anger will force a confrontation of belief systems. You see this throughout the whole Bible. You saw it with Elijah and the 850 prophets of Baal and the Asherah. You see it over and over and over where the enemy tries to take out God's people. But they just can't do it. Hallelujah.
And we see the answer in verse 21. It says, Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed these men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because it's seven times hotter, it melted them. It killed them. The ones who were throwing them in there. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And so he said, Well, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Man, when you confront some other belief system, you're not alone. You have the fourth man with you. You've got Jesus with you. The Holy Spirit's power is with you. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then they, basically they came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, the administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on them. Isn't that amazing? And then Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Number seven, God protects and brings further promotion. So the summary is this, don't compromise what costs you everything by the Spirit. Do not compromise it. You know, this whole political scene is such a mess right now. But you know what? We've had a lot of prophetic words from people that say they're prophets and whatnot and what could happen. Well, I'm going to tell you, when God is in the middle of it, you're not going to burn. You're going to be saved. And I believe that America is not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be ruined. I believe that God's going to redeem our nation. <clears throat> There's so many people praying, believing, and speaking the word of God right now. 
I can't wait, and I don't think it's that far off till we see this tide turn. And I won't get into politics, but you know what? A man named John Durham has begun to speak to the Congress about all his reports that he has accumulated over the last five, six years. And he's going to expose a whole bunch of crud almost said another word but he's going to expose it and the enemy's going to have to pay and God's going to do a great thing in our midst and he's going to give us a window and an opportunity window of opportunity for time to have the biggest revival that this world has ever seen <coughs> And I agree with Mario Murillo. There are going to be thousands upon thousands of people saved during this time. And don't think it's strange when this little building right here is way too small for what we see coming through the doors that we will end up in the parking lot or we'll end up renting a theater or something big so that we can handle what God wants to do. Amen. And I think even this weekend we're going to see, I gave that prophetic word to Sister Virginia on Sunday that, you know, and I'll say it like this, there's no big name coming here this weekend. I mean, Shirley Darnell's probably the most fiery speaker out of the whole bunch because she speaks out a lot. But, hey, let's face it, a lot of people don't know who Shirley Darnell is. They don't know who we are. But there's going to be people coming to this conference that need to be saved. We're going to see more salvations in this conference than I believe all the other conferences put together that Sister Virginia has hosted here. Will you all agree with me for that? I believe that it has nothing to do with, well, I mean, yeah, it's important the Word of God and who's speaking it, but, but it doesn't have anything to do with names. This is going to be a no-name move of God that's going to grow into something really huge. And we're going to see an awesome demonstration of God, not only this weekend, but into the future. The day's coming where they're going to run down the altar before Zach can finish his sermon, wanting to be saved. Maybe before he even gets done reading his scripture. Maybe during the offering. I've had that happen to me before. The people come and be saved. Stand with me. Let's agree. Father, in the name of Jesus, we agree for that fiery baptism of fire upon this church, upon the conference this weekend, upon all those that are here, that we will see a mighty move of God, that we will see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to cause people to want to be saved that they're going to reach out and seek for God's demonstration of His power.